Welcome to the Future Learning Design Podcast. What is most amazing to me of uh, her entire work uh, is that uh, she went uh, beyond education. Uh, she was more than an educator, uh, a pedagogue. Uh, she was a sort of a philosopher because uh, she had in mind the well-being of the entire uh, mankind. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me again for another episode of the Future Learning Design Podcast with me, Tim Logan. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with Michele Dal Trozzo, who is an expert in the life and amazing achievements of Maria Montessori as part of his role in charge of the Montessori department of GAM, Gonzagaredi Montessori. GAM is an Italian company based in Gonzaga, Mantua, well known worldwide for its unique history in the manufacturing and marketing of Montessori materials and furniture. Its origins in the early 20th century are strongly connected to the presence of Maria Montessori in Gonzaga as a friend of Maria Mareni Guerrieri Gonzaga, who started one of the first Casa dei Bambini in the world. Nowadays, JM designs, manufactures and markets furniture for nurseries, schools, libraries and cultural centres. Michele started working for Gonzaga Redi in 1996, straight after graduating from the University of Parma. Across the 25 years, he's been involved in many different areas of the company, product development, classroom design, and including the design of the Montessori Museum located in the company's headquarters. Michele has also been attending conferences, trade shows, visiting schools, meeting teachers and customers in more than 30 countries. Ciao, yeah, Michele. How are you? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm fine. Doing fine. Yeah. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you, Michele. It's just brilliant to be able to talk to you uh, for the podcast today and I am particularly interested in in Maria Montessori myself I have been for a long time because I think there are so many connections to all of the talk about putting the student at the center of learning and educational innovation and all of these things that we talk about but obviously Maria Montessori was doing this in, in another century, right? She, you yeah. know, for 115 years ago, she was starting this work and it's just incredible. So what, it's just fabulous to have you here. And then maybe we could just talk a bit about Maria's life as a kind of an example of all the amazing things she did educationally, but also in, in so many other areas as well. So welcome to the podcast, firstly. <laughs> Thank Good. you, Tim, for inviting me to the podcast. Pleasure. Honor to be here. Thank you so much. So so maybe first, if, if you could just, because your role and your company is very much connected to Montessori. Yeah. So perhaps if we just start there, if you could just, just give sure. us a little bit of a description of who you are and what your company does and how is it connected with Maria's life? Sure. Um, I've been working for the company since uh, 1996, so it's been quite a while. And uh, even before be- that, my father had before me working in the company, oh, wow. uh, starting from the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s, uh, was uh, called Baroni and Marangon. And uh, so uh, he started because uh, the company, you know, was... Uh, uh, a small company based in Italy, but uh, they already had several contacts and relationship uh, also abroad. Because, you know, there, there were many companies at that time that were making Montessori materials and Montessori furniture, mainly two companies. One is the Italian company at the time called Dorni Marangoni, and the other one uh, was and still is the Dutch company, which is uh, Nina House. And so in those years, uh, 
the Montessori method in Italy was not so uh, popular. Mm -hmm. So there weren't so many Montessori schools uh, in Italy. The, the Montessori market yeah. uh, was, uh, very, it's still small now, but uh, it was even smaller at that time. So most of our customers in this uh, business were from abroad. Yeah. So. yeah, there is a really interesting connection between Maria Montessori and Gonzaga, right? Yeah, the connection is um, related to the fact that Maria Montessori herself uh, used to come to Gonzaga, to this place, okay. several times. And the reason why she came here was uh, due to... Uh, friendship she had with uh, Marchesa Maria Guerrieri Gonzaga, who was you know, a descendant of the very famous and powerful uh, family Gonzaga, which was the family who ruled the town and the area of Mantova for uh, almost four centuries. And they were one of the most known families in the Italian Renaissance. So Maria Guerrieri Gonzaga, and particularly uh, she was uh, passionate about education. So as soon as she came to know uh, about uh, the new work, researches of uh, Maria Montessori, she immediately went there to meet uh, her in person. Uh, she visited the first Casa dei Bambini, opened in Rome in 1907. And she uh, immediately uh, started to uh, implement uh, the first uh, educational revolutionary principles uh, in the uh, Casa dei Bambini, she set up here in Gonzaga. Ah, okay. And invited Maria Montessori several times to come to be her mm. guest here in Gonzaga and to help her to develop and to organize mm. this uh, Casa dei Bambini. The two ladies uh, got along uh, together very well, and um, they uh, established this uh, very strong relationship uh, who lasted for their entire lives. So thanks to this uh, uh, friendship, that was also a cooperation on the field, yeah. because uh, Maria Guerrieri Gonzaga also was uh, not just supporting Maria Montessori, uh, sponsoring her mm -hmm. and giving uh, economical help, but was also deep and involved in the research that Maria mm -hmm. Montessori was uh, doing. There is a, a nice quote from one of um, Maria Montessori's uh, book, uh, his second book. It's the, uh, in Italian, it's called uh, L'Aut Educazione nelle scuole elementari. That means uh, in elementary schools, because the first one was focused on the three to six. The second one was focused on the six to 10, 11, to the elementary schools. And one of these quotes says, it was in 1911 that a friend of mine, Maria Guerrieri Gonzaga, wanted to put the first foundations for a private and completely free experiment in order to find out if it was possible to continue the educational approach that had had success with small children using more advanced materials. So Maria uh, Guerrieri Gonzaga uh, started from the very beginning uh, 
following Maria Montessori in her research, and then she tried to uh, go ahead. And so that's why also invited Maria Montessori to come here and discuss with her what was the you know best solution to yeah. do this to do that and uh, amazing i'd love to hear if if there's reflections on what you know the success of that experiment because that's that's really fascinating and i mean this is this as you said very early days and so the casa dei bambini was set up in 1907 so this is four years later she's experimenting with taking it on to the ne- next yes. level but could we just go back a step now to just the beginning of Maria Montessori's life? Just sure. everybody's heard of Montessori, Maria <laughs> Montessori, of course. But I think there are aspects of her life perhaps that people aren't aware of. And I, for me, she's an incredible human being, right? She she was working in all sorts of areas, as I understand, kind of innovating and, and breaking new ground in all sorts of ways in Italy in the you know late nineteenth century, early twentieth century. Right. So yeah, maybe right. could you just give it a, li- a little bit of a kind of background of briefly of, of her early years and the, the, the medical school and anthropology and these things? Yeah. Uh, Maria Montessori was definitely an ex- extraordinary woman. Yeah. She, well, to start from the beginning, uh, just briefly, uh, she was born in uh, a, uh, 1870 in the town of Chiaravalle. And uh, she spent there just a few years and then she moved to Rome. So Rome has been uh, her uh, hometown. I would say, you know, at least uh, as far as uh, her education and her professional career is concerned. She uh, proved to be a, a very uh, different uh, person from the average uh, and an outstanding one, uh, considering the fact that she was a woman yeah. <laughs> at that time, I mean, 150 years ago. Yeah. In those times, uh, women uh, were uh, had very limited access to uh, important careers that were normally uh, reserved for men. But she showed to be a very determined person mm-hmm. right from the beginning, mm-hmm. since she was uh, very young. And uh, she um, showed particular interest for science and technology. So she wanted to attend um, a technical school, right? You know, Liceo Leonardo da Vinci in Rome, uh, which was uh, attended mostly by uh, boys. And uh, she had, of course, uh, to fight for this decision against uh, her family, especially her father, who, as most of the men, you know, uh, uh, thought that uh, women should do, if they wanted to study, should do their teachers. And uh, against, you know, all the other the, the persons who were, you know, telling her to do something different that was not a school for uh, women. But uh, she insisted. And so uh, after the high school, she decided to go to the university. At the beginning, she chose the, the natural science. So for a couple of years, uh, he did that. But then probably, you know, thinking uh, about her uh, future and her interest she was probably more interested okay in science in nature but probably more interested in the human beings in the mankind and so she switched from uh, natural science to the faculty of medicine and that was uh, probably the most difficult decision and step that she had to take at that time because uh, uh, that was uh, even more difficult uh, for uh, a woman to enter. 
but still with uh, her strong uh, character and determination, she uh, kept doing what she wanted to do. And then she proved to be one of the most clever uh, students, much better in some cases than her uh, male colleagues. <laughs> and she graduated with a, a very high level. And uh, she was uh, the, not the first, uh, as someone says, but the third uh, woman to graduate in medicine in Italy. Uh, but she was the first to actually practice because the yeah. two previous ones, they just died, but they, they didn't mm-hmm. uh, follow up with the medical career. Maria Montessori, uh, after finishing, she immediately started working and started her career with a specialization in psychiatry. So, mm-hmm. in, And for this reason, she went uh, to work in the hospital uh, in Rome yeah. and uh, she studied a lot uh, of the main studies uh, related to the brain, how the brain works yeah. uh, and yeah. how this affected the behaviors of the people. Yeah. Amazing. As I understand it, she then went back to do an, another degree in anthropology as on yeah, top of the medical degree. Yeah, it was a sort degree, of right? yeah specialization, a sort mm, of okay. know, master, we would say, or okay. a doctorate, maybe sure. we would say today. Yes. Yeah, but but she was also very interested in obviously the formative experience in in the psychiatry department, but also she was very interested in women's rights and yeah. peace and the labor movement and you know campaigning against young children who were, were being put to work mm. in the mines so she was quite politically active as well yeah 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 she was very active uh, probably moved by this uh, nature she wanted to help the weakest member of the community and so she spent yes uh, a lot of energy yeah in the feminist movement uh, she took part to two very important uh, international congress uh, for women rights the one in berlin and the other one in london where uh, she went in uh, representation of all uh, italian women of the whole country explaining to the world that uh, they needed uh, more uh, uh, rights. Uh, but then uh, after a few years, uh, she decided that, that uh, her main interest were the children. And so yeah. she focused on that. Mm. Going back to the, the experience uh, she had at the hospital, that was the beginning also of uh, her idea that then yeah. she pursued for her entire life. When she started studying uh, the children, after some research and after some uh, exercises that, that uh, she did with the children, she started realizing that uh, in most cases, uh, the um, problems they had were not real medical problems, but uh, educational problems. So that's when, uh, in her mind, uh, she started thinking that she needed to be involved in education because since then she was a medical doctor. Yes. But then uh, when she discovered that uh, the cure for most of these diseases were not just, you know, medical yeah. cure, clinic cure, hospital mm-hmm. cures, but uh, a, a different educational environment. Yeah. Then she started thinking that she had to do something with education. Mm-hmm. 
And so she started a sort of kindergarten in the same building or next to the building where she was working with the children at the hospital. And she started working there since seven in the morning till night for two or three years. And that is when she first became an educator. Amazing. So she was, I mean, this was, this was 1907. Yeah, that, uh, this Cassidy was Emmanuel. before 1907. Then okay. in 1907, uh, something very important to her, the most important event of her life happened when she was offered by the engineer Talamo uh, in Rome to coordinate and to organize the rooms for children in the Quartiere San Lorenzo, in an area that was going to be restored, restyled, or rebuilt. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a very you know, a poor area of Rome. And in this big project of uh, remaking the entire area, uh, this person who was in charge for the whole project said, we need to create uh, special places also for children. Yeah. Since he uh, knew about, you know, Maria Montessori's studies and research there in Rome. And uh, she, in this way, she has received the offer that she was waiting for. Yeah. Because she was waiting to prove mm-hmm. that uh, the, what uh, she uh, has already uh, experimented uh, with uh, uh, special needs children would uh, work also with all uh, children. Yeah. So she was saying, if I was able to improve a lot the performance of children with uh, these uh, yeah. very uh, difficult problems, uh, and she got this opportunity at that time, yeah. and uh, it was immediately a success because uh, yeah. you know she yeah. immediately proved that her new approach was um, a revolutionary approach and that was very effective and was uh, able to give uh, the children a much higher level of education even in these uh, early years yeah. because you know up to six years old at that time uh, children started school in at uh, six six seven years old yeah. uh, before then until the six years of age they were not taught yeah. basically but just you know gather in a place and uh, you know just supervise the play but without uh, thinking that that was a uh, an extremely important uh, period of life uh, where the children is uh, in need to, to learn, not just yeah. to, to play. Yeah, they're critical years, aren't they? In those early years. Yeah, absolutely. And what I find interesting, particularly about it is, as you say, she was trying to prove something that it was relevant and effective for all children, mm-hmm. depending on whatever their needs were and whatever their background, etc., but also it seems like it really took off very, very quickly. So you went from 1907 with the first Casa dei Bambini in Rome to yeah. houses of children all over the world within five or six years. Yes, it was I mean, an extremely big success. And uh, so why uh, do you think there was such an amazingly quick reception and, and why did that move so fast? Because it was, uh, you know, it was a, a revolution. It was their approach was completely different from the traditional approach. I think that uh, you know what was uh, extraordinary was the different uh, idea of the, the child. 
her approach was, I would say today, a child-centered approach. It was the opposite of the approach that there used to be at that time. That was, you know, the teacher approach. There's the teacher who tried to transfer knowledge from his or her head into the head of the children. Marie Montessori said, no, the children have already in themselves the ability of learning from the surrounding environment. You don't need to pour knowledge into their head. They are able to get this knowledge from the environment, from the stimuli, from the input that they receive from the world. And then, of course, uh, you need, uh, starting from this idea, you need to allow them to be in a, a proper and suitable environment. Absolutely. So yeah. that's why the environment became so important. You know, yeah. the prepared yeah. environment became the, the pillar of yeah. her approach. Yeah. And so he started since then to study and to structure a very complex, I mean, very uh, comprehensive <laughs> methodology to help the children, not just to um, learn different yeah. subjects. Yeah. But I mean, what is most amazing to me of uh, her entire work uh, is that uh, she went, uh, I think, beyond education, <laughs> I would yeah. say, because uh, her idea was to um, help uh, the, the human being to uh, grow up uh, healthy and uh, in balance with himself and with uh, the environment uh, as an individual, as a social being, you know, social part of uh, a community. So uh, she was more than, uh, to me, than an educator, uh, a pedagogue. She was a sort of uh, uh, philosopher because uh, she had in mind the well-being of the entire uh, Mankind. Yeah, absolutely. Can I ask you then exactly on that? She, I mean, she traveled hugely, right? After that, she then went all over the world traveling to train different people to set up, help people set up schools. But she also spent, I think, because of the Second World War, was then Mm -hmm. stranded in India, right? So she was in Mm -hmm. India and then was put under house arrest in India. And one of the things I find interesting about that, when she was in Kodi Canal and, and Chennai, I think, where she came up with these ideas about cosmic education, mm. which, I mean, it sounds crazy, right? <laughs> but, it's, it sounds great. But, it, but it sounds exactly as you're saying about her being a philosopher and her have this consideration of the well-being of humankind. And then, yeah, these perhaps the influence of, of being in India. Could you talk a little bit about that, the, the idea of cosmic education? Yeah, particularly it was uh, India, you know, the time yeah. uh, when uh, she deepened this uh, concept of uh, cosmic education. Probably she had, uh, I don't know, maybe even more uh, time <laughs> to yeah. concentrate. She has been, as a matter of fact, a sort of prisoner, you know, in India yeah. because uh, uh, India w- uh, was uh, under the British administration and you know, Italy was uh, fighting against uh, England, the UK. And uh, so she was forced to stay there for uh, five, six years, uh, the years of the Second World War. But uh, probably, yeah, it was uh, uh, surely an experience. It was good to her because uh, she didn't stop uh, 
working. She didn't stop uh, doing what she was doing. And uh, she had the opportunity probably to focus even more on some ideas that she had together with her son and uh, assistant uh, Mario. Because uh, uh, Mario dedicated also his entire life in uh, studying and helping her mother in uh, improving uh, the theories uh, that uh, uh, she had studied so far. Cosmic education uh, was, uh, yes, the um, part of the maturity, I would say, of her entire work, because uh, she was able to, in a way, establish all the connections (laughs) among uh, all the different uh, areas of the knowledge uh, that uh, she had deepened in the previous years. And um, she developed uh, this uh, theory for which uh, everything that is part of uh, this universe (laughs) is uh, in a way interconnected. And so there is a a, a relationship of cause and effect on everything that uh, is part of the world. So if we change something uh, in the nature, uh, then this would have a number of effects. And so she tried to uh, set up this uh, theory for which uh, everything is interconnected. And so also the child needs to understand this concept uh, So even when uh, you teach uh, uh, children uh, specific subjects, that must always, uh, or as much as possible, come in relationship to the other sphere of knowledge. So when you, for example, teach uh, geography, you should uh, always make uh, uh, reference to the people who live in the area, to the animals who are living there, or uh, so as to uh, make the, the child aware of this interconnection that there are in Amazing. the world. Yeah. And of course, then uh, it comes um, by itself the fact that uh, you need to be uh, careful on every yeah. act that you do because this might uh, you know create effects on other uh, people other uh, living being uh, on earth yeah for me it's another example of just how incredibly ahead of her time she was right as oh, yeah. as a thinker as a philosopher as an educator as a medic as an anthropologist all of those things i mean as a as a women's rights campaigner children's rights campaigner there were so many ways that she was just way ahead of her time. It's incredible. And yeah. now we talk about ecosystemic approaches and complexity and the interconnection. I mean, it's really amazing. Well, she, she, I mean, she, she was a genius, I have to, yeah. I have to say, uh, in her field, because, yeah. uh, yes, as you're saying, uh, she was uh, able to understand uh, things that uh, only years or decades or even a century later than were yeah actually discovered and proved by uh, other people. Amazing. So that was, you know, the the most extraordinary thing about her, that uh, she was, as you said, yes, ahead of her time. But due to to the the fact that uh, she was uh, a scientist. I mean, she started as a medical doctor, but her approach was a scientist approach. She had used, and that is why I think uh, her approach and method is still uh, effective today after uh, 100 years or more. Amazing. Maybe if we could just bring it back to where we began in Gonzaga in a moment, but just by way of Italy generally, because one of the things you said at the beginning was that now, or even for quite a long time, Montessori 
high schools are not so popular in Italy. And I think, you know, they exist in France where I live or, you know, they exist in every country, but they're not hugely popular. I know that there are more of them, for example, in the Netherlands, where she ended her life right after mm-hmm. the war, where she lived. I wondered, do you think that's a historical factor related to Mussolini and the fact that they, in during the war, they they closed a lot of the, the Casa dei Bambini because of, you know, political agendas? Or why Why do you think that it's not such a, a strong traditional in Italy, particularly now? Yeah, of course, uh, no, the history has uh, an important role in this. Uh, the fact that uh, Maria Montessori was uh, forced to leave the country and that the old schools were closed by re- the regime in 1936 in Italy and in Germany. So they almost, you know, decided to close everything and uh, almost everything, almost all schools, because the school here in Gonzaga remained open. Oh, wow. <laughs> thanks to, <laughs> thanks to the Marchesa Guerrieri Gonzaga. He had the right connections. <laughs> it was, yeah, true, true. He was, you know, of course, a wealthy lady, but then uh, yes. uh, father was a member of the parliament. Okay. And uh, her um, brother-in-law was another member of the parliament. Yeah, uh, she had good connections. <laughs> yeah. uh, but even when uh, Maria Montessori was uh, came back to Italy in 1947, invited by the Italian government and parliament, uh, she had also a nice uh, speech at the, at the new pa- new parliament. And of course, everything was new after the yeah. war in Italy talking about her approach, even after being invited by the parliament, uh, her method never took off because it never really entered into the public school system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in Italy, uh, especially years ago, almost all the educational system was public. Uh, The schools that uh, grew up after the war in Italy uh, were almost all uh, uh, private schools um, and mostly kindergartens because yeah. uh, it was in the kindergartens uh, age group that there were more private schools. While you know, when you talk about elementary schools, so, yeah. so from six up, uh, almost all schools were public. And uh, that was a uh, you know, political problem, I think, that uh, never really committed to take uh, a serious step into introducing uh, the Montessori approach uh, into the public school system yeah. that was uh, 95% of the educational system yeah. in Italy. Interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the same here in France and with, with the Montessori schools, around 2,000 of them, which are, you know, are, are all private. It's interesting that it has never quite made that jump into the political sphere of public education. Mm-hmm. It, it's always been slightly outside. It's, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, now in the recent years, uh, there's much more talking about Montessori, uh, a lot of interest in uh, this uh, approach. And uh, it's an interest that who is coming mostly by the parents, though, I mean, from the base, because, you know, parents, uh, most of the time, I mean, parents uh, are uh, trying to look for something better (laughs) than what they find in the normal public schools. So they try to look around and uh, to get information on that. And soon then they discover Maria Montessori. So then if we bring it right back to you in Gonzaga and, you know, at GAM and, you know, with, with the company building furniture and making materials for Montessori. So right back to where we started in the local place of Gonzaga with you and your father. So firstly, I'd love 
if you could say a little bit more about the idea of why furniture and why the prepared environment is so important. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but, you know, obviously when you're designing the furniture, you're mm-hmm. designing spaces for learning for Montessori classrooms. Why is that philosophically such an important part of the Montessori method? Yes, of course. Uh, you know, as, as we said, you know, Marie Montessori idea was that uh, the child has already in himself uh, the ability of learning from the environment. Uh, one of the main uh, concepts uh, in this regard is uh, the so-called uh, absorbent mind. You know, Mario Montessori said that uh, the child has an absorbent mind. Uh, that means that uh, the child is able to absorb from what he sees, what uh, he hears, what he feels, uh, huge amount of information you know, of data from outside, especially in the first plane of education, as uh, she said, you know, she has defined four planes of education. The first one is from zero to six, and then from six to 12, then 12 to 18, and, and 18 to 34. In the first stage, from zero to three, it's uh, called an uh, unconscious absorbent mind because the uh, children just, you know, takes in whatever uh, he sees, uh, he hears, uh, and uh, there is no uh, intervention of his will. Whatever you show him, whatever experience he has, he or she absorbs it. Mm-hmm. And that is also a very delicate time, very good, because, uh, you know, if uh, the experiences are, are good, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> but course. if you expose uh, him or her to experiences that are not uh, good, not healthy, they that's remain in, in the brain and it will be more difficult then to cure them yeah. or to change them when he or she is older. Then from three to six, the absorbent mind becomes more uh, conscious. So the child starts having the ability to take some decisions. And so that is when it is uh, probably uh, more important uh, uh, to set up the environment uh, in the best way so as to offer a big variety of different uh, stimuli of different uh, activities and to give him the possibility to uh, choose and to gain uh, self-confidence to master the environment to master the objects that he has in environment and so it is, you know, the, the development of the brain and the, the prepared environment are very deeply, strictly connected. The experiences that you get in the environment at that stage are the ones that then you will remember forever. And they are the foundation upon which you build your future knowledge because if you you know build the right proper foundation then you can build a a big house or even a skyscraper (laughs) if the foundation (laughs) are not good then the the, the house can wobble (laughs) pieces can fall apart exactly (laughs) you might have uh, problems yeah it's really interesting to me because a lot of people talk about Montessori education, as you said, about this kind of developing self-confidence and autonomy and agency that that young people develop. But I think that is done within a very structured environment. So the idea that it's a prepared environment, they're not not developing this agency and autonomy in a completely free 
an unknown environment no, no, no. that Absolutely. it's incredibly well thought through well structured and then obviously you then provide the furniture for that as you know in contribution to that right but i yes. think that structure is a really important constraint within which these young people are working yeah well of course then we could go even further deep into the details of the structure of the environment you know it's really yeah very structured very organized and uh, i mean in, in every single detail i mean maria montessori you know, never left anything to random uh, she went so deep in defining every single little thing that is a part of the environment that is a uh, really amazing yeah. if you don't know a bit the approach Uh, you might think that uh, that is even uh, too much but if you uh, know how the uh, children brain works then you understand why every single detail is important i for, i remember for example when i visit schools um, very often you see montessori schools and you see uh, the, when they set up the tables for example for for lunch Everything is in perfect order, you know, the fork, the knife, uh, different objects that are on the table. Very often there's a uh, the vase with the flowers, little flowers on the table. Uh, uh, there are, I mean, some little objects that uh, you would say, okay, but uh, they're just uh, a matter of aesthetics and uh, they're not necessary for that. But to the mind of um, children at that age, everything is important because he, he helps to have a mindset, you know, the mindset of the, the, the order, the environment, uh, everything uh, must be also pleasant, inviting him the respect of the things, taking care of things, taking care of the people. Uh, I don't know, grace and courtesy, for example, is another Oops. thing that uh, yeah, is very popular in Montessori school because yeah. uh, there are also a way that you relate to people or to yeah. uh, the way to you handle things uh, yeah. that is very important. Uh, and uh, everything is uh, important, uh, okay, because uh, it sets up a rule of behavior you know, yeah. in, in a social community. Yeah. But also because it makes it easier in such an environment to concentrate, to focus. Yeah, and then here we might get into the relationship with the, the theory of the flow that you mentioned. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it, I think that's so interesting that there's a quality to the experience and even the flowers on the table or the way things are set up. Yes, it's aesthetic, but aesthetic is about the quality of your experience and mm -hmm. valuing everything in that experience. As you say, it's formative for the children mm -hmm. and it sets this, these kinds of habits and understandings that life is precious and we, you know, that there's a quality that we should, should respect and respect each other and value. Interesting. But yeah, as you said, just very briefly on that point about that, the absorbent mind getting lost, if you like, in flow, in focus, in mm -hmm. the, that ability to explore the environment and then find something that you are particularly interested in, in that, in that moment at that time, and then allow yourself to get really lost in that and feel what that kind of participatory knowing of, of being involved with your environment doesn't often happen in traditional schooling because mm -hmm. everything's very much to the bell you move you know it doesn't matter if you're if you're really into this thing right now you've got to move on because it's the next lesson so there's that's something I really think is an interesting part of the Montessori experience mm -hmm. um, and as you said the environment is is a, an important part of that 
Yeah, well, I think that Maria Montessori understood very well right from the beginning how important is concentration. She talked several times about that, even if in the book that I just mentioned, which in English, I think it's also called the spontaneous activity in education. So there's a, a chapter about the attention. I mean, attention meaning the concentration that the child needs to have. Uh, I think that she built... Uh, uh, her entire theory and her entire environment uh, in trying to help the child to concentrate, to focus on the, the work that uh, they were doing. Because if the child is uh, concentrated, uh, her uh, or his ability to learn are uh, in a way enhanced. You know, if uh, you are in focus, uh, your potential of learning is much bigger than if you are distracted by other uh, things uh, around you or even distracted by things of the materials. She always, uh, you know, uh, tried to, for example, isolate one single quality per each material. That is one of the typical features of Montessori materials. Isolate one quality because the child needs to focus on that quality. That is the purpose that the materials is designed for. If you put together more uh, inputs, more uh, features, uh, the children uh, might be distracted because there are other things to take yeah. care and you, he or she doesn't know exactly on what to focus. Mm. If uh, there is only one thing that is the purpose of the materials, it's much easier for him yeah. or her to reach the, the, the target and, and to win the challenge. No, because uh, <laughs> the materials are also uh, must challenging the yeah. child. Of course, it must be a challenge that uh, needs to be in line with the child's uh, skills. Of course. Yeah. Not too easy because otherwise he would get bored and not too difficult. Uh, otherwise he would uh, abandon the, the task yeah. and uh, lose uh, self-confidence. Uh, yeah. And so this is was you know has always been one of the main points of Maria Montessori. And, and that is also what the you know flow theory is uh, saying. You know, if, exactly. if you are the right good set of skills and uh, with a good uh, level of difficulty but something that anyway you can do it yeah. you can get then you get yeah. into this uh, flow of concentration yeah. that uh, can help you to reach um, performance so, that otherwise yeah, you yeah. wouldn't be able to and i think for me those experiences are really important for children to have because if we don't set up environments where they can get into that flow state they never really experience it and they they don't really know what that is like and then when they're an adult perhaps they're still not experiencing it so and i think there's something addictive about it we see that with with extreme sports and surfers and rock climbers you know they get into this flow state where they're really in the zone but you've also got this kind of cascade of insights i think in in your brain when this is happening and there's so many amazing things happening in that state that i think we are doing our children a disservice if we don't allow them those mm -hmm. experiences to get into those states on their own right through their own choice yeah, right. and yeah there's another important uh, chapter that uh, we would have to talk about maybe in the next time because in this approach in this environment then uh, the role of the teacher is completely different exactly yeah so absolutely the is, a, is a guide wow. uh, she or he has to guide the children 
into their own uh, self-education, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> and so but, uh, it's interesting also. Absolutely. Wow. No, I mean, I, Michele, I could talk to you all day about this. This is amazing. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll have to do a part two on the role of the teacher because I think, I think it is absolutely fascinating and how relevant this is now, even though, as we said, we're talking about 150 years ago when she was born, 115 yeah. years ago when she set up the first Casa dei Bambini, it's, it's just absolutely amazing. So, yeah, thank you, Michele. Grazie mille. Thank <laughs> Prego, you. thank you, Tim. Thank you. Was really, nice. really amazing. Okay, have a nice day. Thank <laughs> you. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to continue the dialogues with us on social media with the hashtag Future Learning Design and on the Intrepid Ed News website, intrepidednews.com.